Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy, are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to cultivate relationships, collegial collaboration, and positive school culture in your role as school administrator. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Anthony Turcala. Welcome to Lesson Impossible's five-part series on educational leadership. In this series of episodes, we'll hear from Anthony Turcala about the nature of the job of school administrator, from Craig Randall about a trust-based model of observation and feedback, from Relina Valentine about overcoming extreme obstacles, from Joyce Matthews about training teachers and administrators to lead their own professional development, and from Charles Williams on leading through crisis, like, for instance, a pandemic. My hope is that by the end of these five episodes, you'll have a clearer idea of what school leaders do, the challenges they face, the connections they make within their schools, and how they grow as professionals. My conversation with Anthony, which took place before the beginning of the 2020-2021 school year, became the impetus for this series on educational leadership. I went into the interview by being pretty clear that I would never want Anthony's job as school principal. But, as we spoke, I realized that I had an idea of what the job of an administrator was like. But, like the proverb from India about the blind men and an elephant, I was only focusing on one part of a larger whole, while discounting all the other important features. For some listeners, Hearing Anthony's thoughtful reflection on his role as an administrator might solidify your decision to embark on a career of educational leadership. For others, hearing his perspective might solidify how very much that job is not for you. But either way, I hope we'll all gain an appreciation for the work that goes on outside of the classroom to support those inside the classroom. Thank you so much for joining me and the listeners on the podcast. I was wondering if you didn't mind starting by explaining who you are and what your role in education is. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Anthony Turcala. I'm currently principal of Aventura City of Excellence School in Aventura, Florida, uh, just between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Um, I've been at this school for nine years, starting as a seventh grade civics teacher and then moving into the role of dean, assistant principal, and then now starting my second year as principal. My education journey, you know, started after my time in the Army. Um, I spent five years in the Army. Once I got out, I decided I really wanted to work with children and support them in their growth. So I I got a bachelor's degree in history and then a master's in uh, curriculum and instruction for social sciences. And then I, I moved on and ended up getting a specialist degree in education leadership. And right now, I'm earning a doctorate in applied learning sciences from the University of Miami. So, you know, I came into education thinking, you know, I felt like someone could have done a bit more for me as I was growing up to kind of keep me on the right path and hoping to be able to do that. And my passion has been working with middle school and high school students, but I've fallen in love with elementary. Um, I think at the end of the day, you always realize if the grades before are able to do even more than is going to prepare students uh, best for the for the next grade. 
Uh, so it goes all the way down, you know, to kindergarten and below. Uh, so I just love teaching and reaching students and helping them achieve their potential. Like, obviously, you are dealing with parents and you're dealing with the administration of this little nonprofit business that is a school, but it's so much more. Like, how do you perceive what your job is as an administrator? You know, if I boil it down to its base level, what I say my job is, is to clear the path for our amazing teachers and staff members to make sure they have the opportunity to do what it is they signed up to do. And I know to a person, each teacher signed up to mold the lives of individual students. Um, If I can do that in a way that is helpful, then I know they'll be good to go. And whether that's their mindset and their focus on being solution oriented and making sure that all um, outside influences aren't able to impact them from that perspective, then that's what I'm going to focus on. If it's getting them the right curriculum or the right resources, then that'll be my focus. Um, If it's telling a parent, you know what, what you're doing right now is not helpful and I'm going to take over this communication and make sure that they can focus on the teaching, then that's what I'll do. Um, So to me, it's really clearing the path for teachers and making sure they can do the heavy lifting. And when that happens at a high level, I think every school that has that happening is being successful. I think where you see a lack of success And it may not be the administrator's fault, but the lack of success comes from teachers feeling that they're not supported, that they don't have what's needed, and that the situation at hand is is not possible for them to work within. So that's what I think my my primary job is. And of course, there's a lot of orbits flying around that job that, um, especially nowadays, kind of make it sometimes more difficult than others. But at the end of the day, if I can make a teacher's life easier, I feel that I've been successful for the day. When I think back to really positive administrator interactions that I've had, it's always been just the same way that we want to do with kids. It's been laying a foundation, that person becoming interested in me as a person and what my goals are. And then when something does come up down the line, whether it's been a parent or a student issue, then that foundation is laid for us to come at it not necessarily as equals, but as colleagues and as partners in the solution versus the only time you ever see this person is when you're in trouble or when there's an issue. Absolutely. It's a mindset, right? I really believe mindset is everything. And when I hear principals um, talk about their school from the top down, it it just like touches, you know, something negative in me because I know there's no way there's long-term success there. It has to be uh, bottom up and it has to be working side by side. And and I do consider uh, all of my staff to be colleagues and we're working alongside each other. And maybe that comes from me only being in my second year of principalship. And maybe I have to work hard at maintaining that mindset uh, in year 10, 15 or 20. But I think anyone who doesn't go into it thinking they're working with their staff and that they think their staff is working for them is going to not only um, be in for a long day, but they're, they're unfortunately not going to create an environment where students can grow to be the best versions of themselves. And what was the prompt for you to leave the classroom for administration? Yeah, it's I mean, it's that cliche thing about making a bigger difference. It's I think partly also just in the army, there's this general 
mindset of moving up, moving up and moving up always meant uh, taking on more of a leadership role as a soldier. And when I went into education, my goal was to make as big of a difference as I can. So I really saw teaching as a, um, I thought at the time, five to eight year investment so that I knew what it actually took to do the work so that when I did lead, I would be leading from a place of empathy. Um, that opportunity actually presented itself more quickly than I thought. Um, but it was always my goal to be able to make a bigger difference. And I do miss the classroom. And I, I can tell you just leaving pre-planning training and having led a few sessions myself for the staff, it was um, awesome to be able to just teach again and, and to focus on teaching. And it's just an interesting and fun thing. And it's, I don't know, I think of it as a challenge. And it's always fun to try to meet the needs of whatever learners are in front of you. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel that I am able to make a bigger difference from an administrative uh, perspective. And I don't think that's necessarily for everyone because it, it requires ignoring a lot of negativity. It requires um, sometimes thinking back a few days ago to that last positive interaction you had to remind you of why you're doing this. But um, for me, it really works. And, and I've seen success so far and it's just been very rewarding. What has been a struggle for you? Like as a, a new administrator, what are some things that you've had to deal with or had to overcome or are still working through? Yeah, I would say it's definitely still working through uh, for all of it. Um, and I'm sure that's going to be true for anyone, including veteran um, principals. I would say the number one big negative, um, the, the difficulty is you hear every bad thing that can possibly be heard, right? If there's something bad that happens, you hear it, um, but you don't always get the good news. So um, sometimes reminding yourself that they aren't reaching out to tell you the positive because that's not what people do, but 100% of them that have negative, they will reach out to share it. Um, and not letting that dramatically shift my mood, uh, that's a constant daily work. So. Uh, oftentimes I might start an email response and just leave it in my draft folder and go back and, and finish it up later because I, I feel that for whatever reason, starting the email helps helps it not negatively impact my day uh, further. Um, so that's a, that's a major, major uh, difficulty. And I'm sure most um, teachers feel the same way sometimes when they see it uh, from their perspective. So I recently got a, a text from um, a friend of mine who's teaching in the district that I left. And he said, uh, Emily Ip, hi, Emily, if you're listening, is a former student of yours. She's now teaching in my department. She says, hi, do you remember her? And I was like, oh, man, I remember her because not only was she one of like in my first five years of teaching, but she was the only ninth grader I ever knew that could like sass the principal. <laughs> and like at that point in my career, I like I was terrified of my very nice, very competent administrator. But the fact that this 14 year old girl was being like, hey, nice pink shirt <laughs> to this man in his like 40s and 50s. I was like, oh, my goodness. But now I look back and I was like, yeah, that that's the relationship that should have been cultivated. Like kids, I shouldn't have been shocked that kids were not terrified to talk to the principal. That's awesome. That reminds me of one of one of our students. Um, you know, in the wrong context, people overhearing our conversation would probably feel the same way. And um, her first name is Samantha. I could say that. And 
you know, we have like an inside joke that she bullies me. (laughs) It's, it's just awesome to me that, like you said, that someone would have the confidence. And I feel that that's a huge success on my part, that someone has the confidence at that age, probably 12 or 13 to, to one speak to the principal, but, but also to, to make jokes and um, to know that, you know, she could test the boundaries, but there's a such thing as crossing the boundaries and um, context matters. And I, I just think it's awesome that, that kids can have that level of confidence. And I sometimes wonder if it's a generational thing or if it is a culture thing that's created within the school, uh, because a lot of our students, I, I feel good about the ability to have conversations with them. To kind of continue on that, like it took me a while to really feel like I could go to my administrators. And once I realized that that was an option, like it opened up so much because they had so much teaching experience and they were really great. If I had a problem of saying like, Hey, you know what you probably, cause in a secondary school, it's so big. Like you might not know this person who teaches on a completely different floor from you, but have you talked to so-and-so about blank? So what can administrators do to, especially for maybe younger or newer teachers, cultivate that feeling of openness? Yeah, I I think all of it goes back to what you believe as an individual. You know, I love reading books about leadership, whether it's in education or outside, but I've never like taken a book and looked at it as like a recipe for success and like, let me write down these individual steps because these steps will help me get where I want to go. Um, I, I see it more as a, a philosophy that you can kind of bring into your bigger philosophy and, and add on. And I think that's true in, in this type of a situation where the principal has to believe it and really believe that working together is how we solve problems. And if they do that, then they're working with other principals, they're working with other staff within the school, and they're modeling it. So that when they say, hey, have you spoken to this other teacher, that teacher may know that the principal is doing the same thing or is encouraging leadership teams within the school to do the same thing. And um, they may see them talking to um, another staff member or another person on the team about solutions. They may see a Padlet that's sent out for uh, requests for input or they may hear in a meeting um, that the principal worked with someone else and, and used someone else's idea and gave them credit for it publicly. Um, if that thing, if those things aren't happening all the time, then I don't think there's a culture created that's going to have a new teacher embrace the idea of going to a stranger and asking or accepting help. So when the, I think when this collaborative type of culture is embedded within the school, and that's only possible if it's happening by the leadership, then um, great things happen, whether you're, you're advising for them to or not. They might be happening more organically, um, but definitely if you have to suggest that to a teacher, um, there has to be a foundation laid for comfort and safety uh, for you to feel comfortable um, going into another room and listening to someone else's ideas and implementing them yourself. Like if you asked someone who hasn't been in school for a while, and you said, what is the job of an administrator? I think one of, if not the top, but number two or three for sure would be punishment, like punishment and control. Yep. And I know that obviously that is still part of the portfolio because 
as wonderful as we can try and make our classroom communities, teachers will always need to have some outside guidance when either working with an individual student or a group of students or a family. But how do you perceive that part of your role? Yeah, and I I look at it more as guidance. I I don't look at it as punishment. I I really think uh, whatever actions we're taking, they should be geared towards solving the root problem. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't said, you know what, we're suspending this kid for two days, or you know what, this student gets detention for this behavior. That happens, right? And sometimes it's in the heat of the moment, and sometimes it's what I truly believe to be the best consequence for the actions. Um, But at the end of the day, I think my role is to help guide, whether it's the teacher, the other administrator, or working with the teachers or other administrators to make sure we're understanding what is the, the core issue here? Like, why is this happening? And how do we prevent whatever that thing is from happening in the future? And that might be re-education, that might be perspective building, that might be restorative justice, whatever it, whatever it is, our goal should be solving that problem. And um, we might have to take steps in the interim before that problem is solved. But if we're ignoring the core problem, then we're really doing a disservice to the student. So if our goal is helping the student long term, we have to get to the core of the issue. I know something in Washington, where I am currently, that we're grappling with along with a lot of other things (laughs) is that our teacher workforce is like 80% female and white. And we're just not seeing representation of students seeing themselves in their teachers. And then when it comes to issues around punishment and control, I mean, there, there's these layers of systematic racism on top of more layers of systematic racism uh, and just trying to, to navigate, you know, wanting to step outside of the school to prison pipeline and, and all those sorts of things. So as administrator of color, do you feel like you bring a different perspective or you, is there change or are things different in Florida than I might be seeing in Washington? Yeah, I mean, uh, being a, um, an administrator of color, in a majority white school, it shows me how education can be. It highlights for me that there actually is systemic racism within our school system. Because um, while I went to school a while ago, I don't believe it's it's, um, dramatically different today. I see students, whether their actions are in school or out of school, getting totally different consequences than I was subjected to or those who I know would have been subjected to. Now, the reasons behind them, I don't know for sure that race played the role, but it really seems that way, that um, the level of patience was different. Um, the the consequences were different. Um, I know there was definitely a different philosophy at that time. There was definitely a higher um, level of support for no tolerance policies um, and very clear, I guess, kind of charted behaviors. You do this, you get that um, consequence. Um, I'm sure that was more common at the time, but I I do believe um, what I have seen is a more more loud shift towards getting to the core root of the problem. Why was the student behaving the way they were behaving? And I feel like before those conversations would make teachers pause and think that they were being blamed. And I don't think that's the case at all. I just think at the end of the day, something happened that triggered the behavior. 
doesn't mean that the teacher is at fault, but it could be that this adult is not the best adult for this student. Um, Personality-wise, temperament-wise, or whatever the, the case may be, it could be that this collection of students in this class is not the best environment for this student to learn in. Um, again, the same reasons. So, um, you know, I, I feel that in my role, I, I bring the experience of seeing, you know, someone who, you know, gets really good grades, get in a fight and gets an automatic 10 day suspension, regardless of reason. Um, understanding from my perspective, the student was defending themselves. What else should they have done? Um, I understand a consequence was necessary, but shouldn't we consider the record of the student? Shouldn't we consider the justification for the, the incident? Um, so I would never in my position do that unless someone above me told me I had no choice, which has not been the case. I, I feel that, you know, for me, having grown up in a system that I saw as unfair uh, and unequitable, uh, it definitely shapes the way I work. And it's unfortunate that, as you mentioned, that the workforces don't always represent the students because I believe often the teachers who have the experience in those systems would bring so much to the table in terms of how they believe situations should be handled. Um, not to mention, um, there is a, a different level of credibility if you have lived the same experiences as someone when you're trying to explain to them what they should or shouldn't do. Uh, but I will end that part by saying I've seen immense um, progress for teachers uh, making a difference with students despite their different upbringing. Even myself, you know, having served in the army, it was a, a sergeant that was from Utah who was Mormon, who really helped me understand that life can be more simple when you um, understand what's expected of you and you you do what's expected of you, um, that you don't have to always fight against a system, that sometimes you can work within a system um, to make a change and to better yourself. So I've seen, you know, older white teachers make a huge difference for younger black uh, men. And I feel that that's possible for sure. But it's, I think it starts with respect and understanding each other. And you mentioned, because I think that's another aspect of being in administration that many teachers, at least for me, I didn't really realize was such a part of the job until later, which is being that go-between between the the teachers and the staff and the students and the district and how that can sometimes, I imagine, be a very uncomfortable position to be in. You know, so how do you navigate knowing what's maybe best for your teachers and your students, and then knowing that you're part of a, a larger district and a, a larger state? Yeah, so first, to just to give a little more context for, for ACES, as a school, we are municipally sponsored. So being municipally sponsored means Technically, the city of Aventura is our district. Um, we're a charter school. So the city of Aventura holds our charter. So um, last night, for example, I went to the, the city commission meeting and gave a school report because the city commission serves as our governing board and the city manager is my direct supervisor um, in a role similar to a superintendent. So while we do have the rules of the district and the rules of the state, only the highest level uh, policies and procedures apply to us. State testing, accountability, um, ESC, um, language learners, and things of that nature. Um, when it comes to day-to-day -day protocols, uh, we actually get to set those uh, decisions. And I'm fortunate to be in the city of Aventura where there's a lot of respect for 
the opinion of the school when it comes to what we should and should not do. So fortunately, it's been very rare that I've been in a position where I say we just have to do it. Um, you know, I can openly say one example of that is lockdown drills. Um, there have been plenty of times where I've felt that we've been a bit excessive with the number of drills we've held, held in any given month. When that happens, I say, you know, this is a this is something we have to do. Some decisions are at our level. Some decisions are not. And when they're not, we can advocate, but we can't ignore them and we, we have to follow them. An, another place where my military training comes in handy, um, you know, I understand my place in the chain of command. And when someone above my place gives me an order, I don't question it um, in the moment. I'll, I'll execute it and then do my best to, to make change uh, from within and voice my opinion. But um, I'm, I'm just an order follower. And I think that's just what happens when you've served in the army. If you were to give advice to someone looking at administration, maybe not from my point of view where it's like, ah, but who is thinking, you know, I'm, I want to make a bigger difference. I feel like I have a skill set that could help me and help others, but I'm not sure if either I'm ready to leave the classroom or if this is going to be fulfilling for me or all those questions that I imagine get asked, what would your words of advice be? Um, you know, my number one piece of advice would be, you know, picture yourself not having, you know, what you know to be a direct impact on a set group of students' lives and wonder how you feel in that moment. Uh, because while I assume I'm making a difference and while um, I can look at school-wide data and, and assume that I'm making a difference. Um, and it's easier from the principalship. But when I was a dean and assistant principal, um, the, the feeling of making a difference had to be internal for the most part. Um, I didn't have strong relationships with one group of students. I had relationships that, that I felt were good, but with a, a larger number of students. If you wouldn't feel comfortable with that part alone, then it's definitely not the best transition uh, because that's an irreplaceable feeling. Um, that's why many people even get into teaching. And that's the number one thing you lose when you don't have an assigned classroom. On top of that, it's managing multiple tasks at the same time, not having you know a clear set of objectives in front of you, not having the structure in your day. I think every administrator could relate that you think leaving the classroom, you're going to you know, have a nice set time for lunch and bathroom breaks, but you often look up at 1.32 in the afternoon and realize you haven't ate anything and your bottle of water is still full because there's no natural cycle to your day. There's no bells ringing. There's no classes coming and going. Um, so having this open-ended day, it sounds different than it ends up being. And then you have to be able to schedule you know, these different varied um, things into your day. So organization is, is a very important part of it. And um, the last thing I'll say, and there's a million things you could say, but I would say the lack of control. You know, there's a beautiful thing about being a teacher. You envision your policies and procedures and routines and your curriculum. And while you do have bad days, most days go as planned. Um, and even if they go off script, you kind of consider this off script um, direction the class may take. Your day has no flow when you're an administrator. Um, 
it's 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 just a different you know thing. So that lack of control can be unnerving because you can advise teachers or students to do something, but they're responsible for the implementation. So you have to go back and see if it was done and be ready to adjust um, as needed. And um, I don't think everyone is great with that um, that part of the the work of administration. Not to mention that teachers are just the worst students. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And I say that with my hand high in the air. Um, yeah, we are we are not great students. I've, you know, I've joked several times that the best way to highlight um, that classroom management is not a solvable issue, it's just a practice, is to film a staff meeting and show it to the students and just show them the number of phone calls that get received and the number of bathroom breaks that have to occur and the number of tardies that occur, all for great reasons, I'm sure, but they still happen and we're all getting paid to be there um, <laughs> and the students are there because they are told to be there. So I've always thought that was an interesting um, dynamic. And it's true if you go to a principal's meeting, uh, just like it is for a staff meeting, um, just like it is for a classroom. When you get a group of people together, um, there will not be 100 percent compliance. That's just the way it works. This is a question I've started asking teachers, and I think it's equally, if not more valid for administrators, given the scope of work that you're being asked to do, which is like, I know you, you've got an 18 month old daughter, like, how do you make it so that you have a work-life balance that you're not burning out, but you still feel engaged in what you're doing and that you're giving as much as you can? I feel like there's a pre-COVID and a post-COVID answer to this. Um, you know, I feel pre-COVID, I had just like hit my stride. I was only working a little bit on the weekends. Um, I, I really had like a shutoff time at like six o'clock where I didn't engage in any work. Uh, Post-COVID, that definitely has not been the case. Um, and I feel like now I'm starting to get back into the rhythm now that we're done with the planning and we're in implementation. Um, but I think the core element is is one, you have to love your job if you're in education um, and I, I see myself as an educator, even though I'm a principal, I, I think I always will see myself as an educator. And I think just that love for the job means it's not really work. It's more a, when do I get to do this part of my life and making sure I'm not ignoring my wife. I'm not ignoring my daughter. I'm making purposeful time uh, for those things that I enjoy doing and, and that it's always, um, a work in progress that, you're not going to be able to, again, get a template and follow it. And if you're doing these things and checking these boxes, you're good to go. But that you're always checking in and thinking about the different elements of your life. You know, is my personal time, has it been honored lately? If it hasn't, what can I do? Uh, is my time individually with my wife been honored with my child and my wife been honored? And then my time individually with my child. Um, and then that extends out to your extended family and then even your coworkers. Um so I, I just think it's a constant process. And, and as long as you're constantly thinking about it and adjusting and the pendulum will swing one way or the other uh, from time to time, but you just have to be responsible enough to bring it back and acknowledge when you have gone through a phase where, you know what, the, these past few weeks, I'm sorry, we, we haven't spent as much time together, but what do you want to do now? What can we do now? Um, so it's just a, a constant process. Um, I, I would definitely highly recommend a, a great book, um, Balance Like a Pirate. Uh, I've I found that book to be very helpful in thinking about the different elements and the different quadrants of life and what you need to be considering as you're going through your day. 
Awesome. I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. That's kind of reached the end of my questions. Is there anything that you particularly want to add about, you know, your role in education or what it's like being administrator or anything like that? Yeah, no, just um, one, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate the invite. Um, I, I think more than ever, administrators and teachers have to be uh, a team. And if there's any school that that's not happening, they need to just stop, acknowledge their their past failures and reset. Uh, because the longer any group of workers in this field goes without working together during these times, uh, the more it's going to hurt students. Um, and I know, like I said at the beginning, every single adult that's in this field did it because they want to help students. Um, and if that's the end goal, then sometimes we have to swallow our pride, admit that we haven't been on the right track and get everybody on the right track. Uh, so I hope that's happening across the country. Um, I think in times of, of difficulty, um, everything gets peeled back and you get to kind of see the true foundation of who we are. And if we don't like that foundation, then, then we can reset it right now. Um, and I don't think many people would blame us if we did a full 360 at this moment and, and decided to do something different than we've always done. So I hope everyone's taking advantage of this opportunity for, for growth and change and doing whatever it takes to meet their students' needs. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for lending your expertise and perspective. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. More details about this episode, links to resources or people we mentioned, and information in general about the podcast and its mission can be found at lessonimpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes, forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Less Than Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin. 